When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. And so at that time, I tried to reach my therapist that particular day. She was unavailable. I then get home and I'm getting ready to try to prepare lunch for the kids. And something, it was, it was, a, it was like a voice where it was like, you'll never be enough. Like, literally, I heard that. You'll never be enough. And in so many ways, we had those voices of doubt and, you know, just negativity that it's, it's always louder than everything else that we hear. And when I heard that you'll never be enough, I said, oh, let me get these kids. Let me call my aunt. Let me take myself to the hospital and let me let me admit myself into a 72-hour hold. Mm. Damn. It was that serious. Like, I need a break. Like, what black woman do you know is driving her kids to a hospital emergency room and saying, excuse me, I live with bipolar disorder. I've been suicidal before. I need to be placed on a 72-hour hold or else I'm going to harm myself. 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 Welcome to Wow Black. A seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all-black everything. Once I finished my summer after my senior year, my life really began you know, in Fort Valley, Georgia. And I had another bout with um, trying to commit suicide in my in my dorm room. And mm. this happened after being away. Now, mind you. I was just going to ask, talk to me about what, what Being away that. from my family, my safe haven, because now at this time I'm comfortable, you yeah. know? And I go away and I'm like, okay, you can go away for a week. You can go away for two weeks. But now I'm in Fort Valley, Georgia, middle of nowhere, Nothing's going on. Reminds me a lot of Mississippi, so I was at home. <laughs> but I was isolated because I was an out-of-state student who really didn't connect with other, you know, kids that were coming from, like, metro Atlanta cities who were from Atlanta. So they were right. city kids. They, like, they were, like, they had all of these other experiences. And I was like, oh, wow, like, I don't know nothing about that, you know? You are some Chuck Right, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, you from Mississippi. Where they hate people? Not like, no, don't do that, you know? But one thing that triggered me was my uncle had passed away, and I couldn't get home. Mm. He had died from AIDS. And that was something that just our family in general hadn't really talked about, the way he had contracted it. And that's a whole story in itself. But to make a long story short, I just felt so alone. And in that moment of the first time of committing suicide and for a cry of help, I felt alone and I had to sit in that moment. But in this moment, it was, I feel alone and I don't want to be here. So that's when I knew I was trying to commit suicide. There so was the a difference. the first time was 15? 15, cry, cry for help. Second time. Second time. Out of high school, so you're I'm, I'm over this shit at this point. How right. old are you? Um, 18. Okay. Yeah. 18 yeah. in D.C. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. 18 in Fort Valley at that time. Oh, Fort Valley. Sorry. And so I end up getting... Luckily, I'm at an HBCU. 
this is like Disneyland of black people. Like, what is going on, you know? And <laughs> luckily, um, Mrs. Simmons, I'll never forget this woman, and the president of Fort Valley at that time was Dr. Kofi Lamote. Both of them were with me when the ambulance came to get me out of mm. the dorm room and to take me to um, Warner Robins. There was a hospital there where I was placed on a 72-hour hold, and they were there with me until a family member could come. Wow. And it yeah. took my family a couple of days to get to Fort Valley because, number one, hell, none of them Negroes knew where it was. <laughs> and then, two, it was, you got to realize, we didn't really come from a whole lot of money, so they had to figure out who was going to be the person to come and show up mm. and be there for me. Mm. And that was, that meant everything to me um, to see that, to see that support. At the time, I was an alpha sweetheart. So the entire chapter of alphas, the bros, all came and sat with me in different um, intervals. They knew what each other's classes were. They were on site anytime I, I needed anything or anytime a doctor needed to speak to someone. So um, people loving on I had time. a village. Shout out to the alphas. Listen, and I just <laughs> never, I just never experienced that. And that changed how I would eventually ask for help later on in life because I realized people actually do give a fuck. Yeah. Like, and that goes back to what you're saying. If you're hiding things and people don't really know, they don't really know how to be there for you. So now that people do know, now that changed a whole lot for me later on in life. Hey, listeners, I'm cutting in in the middle of the episode just to give you a quick heads up. The next few parts we're going to skip through. Um, Dawn talks about suicide in a very detailed way. And I consulted with a few different therapists before releasing this episode. Each one of them told me it would probably be better to pull out the details around this specific suicide attempt. So with respect to Dawn and all of our listeners and anything that any of us are going through, I'm going to pull out the graphic details of this particular suicide attempt. And I will let the story pick back up right after that. The good news is post this attempt, there's a beautiful story about community and building. With that, I'll put you back in the episode. Peace. And so I just, you know, it was one of the things where it was like, you know how you see people have that HBCU, PWI conversation online. And one of the biggest things that I'll advocate for, because I've worked with student athletes and I still do. Um, but one of the things that I advocate for, first and foremost, is that you're going to have a village at HBCUs, whether you want it or not. Yeah, like they're going yeah. to look out for you. They're going to find a way to help you. And I think that's one of the good things that um, I hate to give this man a shout out, but he's right. So I just got to do it. Um, that coach Deion Sanders has been doing at Jackson State, <laughs> <laughs> where it's like, you know, if you come here, somebody might know your parents or somebody might know your people or somebody might not know your people. And eventually you've got people just all over looking after you, you know, like making sure that you go going to class, making sure that you're doing what you're supposed to do. There were times where I was skipping class just plain as fucking day. And it would take a Mrs. Simmons to come to my room and be like, what's going on? Do you need to go see the counselor? Or do you need to go do X, Y, and Z? And then it was like, even after I returned, when I returned, it wasn't this walk on eggshells around dawn. It was more so, everybody make sure she's good. Everybody make sure she's good. Like, bros was walking me to class, and I was like, oh, I want you niggas to leave me alone. I'm trying to go holler at this dude <laughs> while I'm in class. Like, leave me alone. But they did that because... They wanted me to not feel alone right. because at that time I felt alone. And that was really, I was just like, okay, I can't do this no more. And so 
that lifted me up to kind of really get through my freshman year up until my spring break where I go home to see my grandmother, person who really advocated for me, person who really um, held space and laid that foundation for me to really be more outspoken and advocate mm. for myself. Um, and I go home and she doesn't have any hair. Mm. And I find out she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And it hit me like bricks. And I couldn't respond the way I wanted to respond because, of course, I'm around family. You know? Like, I couldn't escape. I couldn't figure out this, do that, do that. And at the time, I just spent, I spent a lot of time under her. I slept in her bed with her. Like, I was just, I made life so uncomfortable for her at that time. Because I was just like, I just don't know what's going to happen. And I was like, okay, that Friday before I had to leave, I was like, I'm not going back to school. She's like, oh, but like, hell. <laughs> like, we didn't get you to this point, but you're not to at least finish your freshman year. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll go back and I'll finish. So, you know, you got a couple more weeks after spring break. And then all of a sudden, you're going to be back. So I went back home after uh, school was over and then summer school was getting ready to start. Y'all, the president of the school flew in to Jackson, Mississippi and drove down to Hattiesburg to meet us at a restaurant. Um, I think the name of the restaurant was Ryan's. <laughs> to sit down with us and really talk to my grandmother and my mom about me coming back mm. for, for summer school. And he was like, just, we want her to come back for summer school because we want her to really, because, you know, in summer school, really, it ain't a whole lot of people on campus. And you kind of like, life is moving slow, but you 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 going to go to class now because technically, you know, you're you're there for a reason or whatever. Um, and so I went back um, after seeing him and his wife come down to really make sure that I'm going to be good and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And for summer school, it was a blur. So I get through that experience. <laughs> And basically, it's like Mississippi out. But me knowing that my grandmother was, you know, dealing with breast cancer, I had to go home and help take care of her. So, so summer I, school. Summer school, I finished out. And then I was like, that fall, I was at home. That Fast forward a couple of years now. I, I think it might have been 2004 where I came to Atlanta for like a couple of, mo- a couple of months. I'm, I'm enjoying myself, having a good time. This is my first brush with modeling and things like that because someone saw me at Hooters and was like, hey, can you come do this shoot? And I was like, mm, I don't know. My, I brought my aunt because I just, I just. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. I always wanted to feel safe. After that, uh, I will fast forward to where I then find out that my grandmother is sick again. And I go back home and she passes away. Mm-hmm. At the time that she passes away, I find out that I'm pregnant. Because during that time, I was dating a guy. And 
It was long distance, but it was probably one of the funnest relationships I ever had just because I like the distance because it was like, I have to see him every day, number one. Sorry, he's, I know he's going to watch this. <laughs> but um, when I found out that she had passed, the only thing that, ma- that kept me on this planet was my oldest son, Sean, me knowing that I was about to give birth to him. And you know that old saying, you know, amongst old, old, the elders of Black people where it's like when one person passed, somebody's coming. Yeah. Like, that's what kept me going. So we moved back to Mississippi so I can have him. I have him. He's like June 23rd, 2005. Then shortly after Hurricane Katrina hits around August 20th, 23rd, around that range, Hurricane Katrina hits uh, New Orleans. Now, for us in Jones County and surrounding counties around um, almost somewhat middle part, not necessarily middle part, but the lower part of Mississippi, we all caught the wind, which meant tornadoes, twisters, all the things. But I was around elders. I was around my mom. Um, I was around my sister at the time where, we, where I could, we could figure it out. We literally had like seven families in, in this one structure. And I'm going to call it a structure because nobody was really sleeping in the house because it was flooded. You know, um, and we were like that for a good four months, and it wasn't until like you know FEMA really came in and then finally looked at Mississippi and understood that we needed assistance in some form or fashion to where I was able to connect with my um son's father, his mom, who lived on the coast, and she was like, "Girl, they're giving me a FEMA trailer, but I don't need it. Do you want to come down here and live down here and go to school at Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College? Here I come. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting Black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Here I come. So I went down there, finished school. Now, I'm going through all of this. There's no depression, really. There's, I think there was really no time for me to really be upset just because I had to focus in on this child. Um, what am I doing for him? Am I keeping him cool? We're sitting outside all hours of the day. We're trying to figure out how everybody's eating. Somebody has to go fishing or somebody, you know, has to go in the city or go down to the coast to get supplies and come back, like all of these things. So I'm in survival mode. That was my first time really being in survival mode. Like literally um, survival. Right, li- literally beyond, beyond everything else, but in a different form, Right. No shelter, no guaranteed way of like using the bathroom, no guaranteed way of taking a bath, all of these things. So depression didn't seek, didn't come in at all. I get through going to school at Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College for uh, about a year and a couple of months. And I finished my with my associate's degree. I worked three jobs <laughs> and managed to cross um, that stage and packed me and my baby up Graduated that Saturday, that Sunday, I was in Atlanta <laughs> with my baby and started all over again. And that was 2007. So I've been in Atlanta since 2007. And my only next brush with um, suicide or anything where 
I kind of just lost it and tapped out might have been a couple of years after I had been in had been married. I got engaged in 2010. At this time, my modeling career is skyrocketing. Like I'm traveling all over. I was like a Seagram's Gen model, which at the time that was huge because mm-hmm. you get to travel the world. Like not in America, not these top cities, like not be in a club, but like the world. And so um, <laughs> just doing all of these things and having these experiences while still raising this child as a single mother. And then lo and behold, I fall in love with somebody and I'm getting ready to graduate um, with my bachelor's degree. And this same year, 2011, stay with me, January, I forget how old I was and what year I turned, had my birthday. Um, I then start feeling sick. Come to find out a couple of weeks um, later, I find out I'm pregnant with my second child. I'm excited, so many ways, um, but don't really know how to process it because I'm trying to be married before I have my next kid, Mm -hmm. (laughs) y'all. But life happens, so it's fine. So I'm like, okay, go to the doctor again for another visit. They do the actual ultrasound and come to find out I had already been five and a half months pregnant. Oh, wow. And didn't know it. I hadn't picked up no weight. Nothing wasn't showing. I thought I just thought I was bloated, literally. Like, was just walking around. Luckily, I'm not that type of person to drink or do anything. So I wasn't really, you know, doing anything crazy to my body. But it was just insane how I could not tell Mm. that things were changing at that time. So... We get married in February. Our wedding was set for February anyway. So we get married by the time, the week before the wedding is when I really start showing it. Everybody's like, mm, y'all get married because you you pregnant. Hell no, don't do that to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> no. But anyway, let that go. Had the, had, the, had the day of my life. I'll never forget that day. Um, it was beautiful. It was a great experience. And then a month later, my ex-husband at the time had created his law firm. He finally, you know, left corporate law. And, you know, I was supporting him at the time. And I was like, okay, cool. We about to do this. Family law firm. We about to have a legacy. All these things. But before I had Christopher, um, towards, I want to say it was towards the end of May, my best friend died at the W. She was the young lady who fell out of the window at the W. I know you all remember wow. that story. And um, her name was Lashana Threat. She was one of my closest friends in the modeling industry just because she was so beautiful. Her, her, like, she was so beautiful, it was intimidating to a lot of people who weren't sure of themselves or mm. were just jealous and envious. And we clicked on the first video set we, had, we were ever, I think it was like Jeezy or somebody. And um, she, we just clicked and then I think we, for hours, we hung out right after that. So mind y'all, them shoes could be all day, but we hung out for hours. But that situation still to this day rocks me to my core because I still feel like her daughter should, like, we should know what happened that night. We should know how that happened where she was the only person that was injured in that situation um, and died. Um, the other young lady was injured. Um, she fell out of way where she landed on another part of the roof at the W Midtown. And to this day, I can't drive by there. I, I can't. Like, it's been, I can't drive in that direction. Even if I'm going towards Piedmont Park and you can see the W Midtown, I'm literally speeding so that I won't, like, I'm going, I'm going to, mm, I'm going to go through that light. I'm not staying right there to where I can see that. It's very hard. So this is what's happening in 2011, y'all. Have, and then I have Christopher the next month. Um, 
And then that fall, I just decide, okay, I'm not going to work. You know what I'm saying? Not right now. I need to take a break. I need to process all of this. 2012 hits, still not working. Housewife, I'm okay with that. You know, helping my husband at the time, you know, as uh, business affairs. Um, and at that time, that's when social media really started ramping up for like corporate businesses and just businesses, small businesses and all. Mm-hmm. And so I knew a lot more about that than he did. So I assisted him with that. And so... um literally just doing a lot of things on all fronts in in regards to the law firm. But then that fall of 2011 was when I realized that every football season, I'm looking forward to the football season because the the state of depression that I would generally deal with during the fall and winter, my outlet is football. My outlet is sports. So at that time, I would tell him, I'm like, hey, I'm taking the kids for the weekend. Like, or... We going down to, you know, South Carolina or North Carolina and we'll be right back. Or we going to Mississippi for this game and we're going to drive. We're going to be down there with my family. We'll be back on Tuesday or Wednesday. Like this man was, he was like, what? (laughs) And he wasn't in the sports. So he was cool, but he knew I was in the sports. So it worked. But lo and behold, after that, all of that, um, I created a sports blog. And the sports blog ended up turning into a sports media company, which then forced me back to work, basically. Um, And at that time, during that transition, there was a moment where um, there was a situation that happened. Um, I think it was a court case that my ex-husband was dealing with and I happened to go by the courthouse or something. And I can't remember what exactly happened in that entire thing. But what I do know is it left me in a place of uh, realizing that, oh my God, am I really serving my full purpose here on earth, right? Because so much so much has changed. So much has happened. From 2011, I still hadn't even really processed what all happened that particular year. Like you have all of these great moments and then a death of your closest friend, like all right. of these things. And so, and she wasn't the only person to die that particular year. There, I had two other friends that died that year too. Um, one was an associate in, in the industry and the other person was a clothing designer who I was very, very close with, Kirk Kelly, and he was from Mississippi. Um, so just, you know, finally getting to the year 2012 and really processing, um, there has to be more for my life. Um, what else am I supposed to do besides just being a wife and a mother? Um oh my gosh, nobody prepared me for this part. You know, like people say, yeah, you know, be prepared for marriage, go through counseling and all of this to get ready for the marriage um, because it's more than just a wedding day. But, ooh, what if you get married and your lifestyle is completely different than the lifestyle you ever grew up in? You know, my ex-husband came into some wealth early on with his business. Um, He did really, really well. And shit shifted quick. And I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for it. I was trying to help. I was trying to do the best that I could. But mentally, I came from nothing. I don't know what to do with all of this. I don't know what it means for you to buy me all this stuff. I'm not asking for it, you know? And um, beyond that, of course, when things shift like that, you've got people that are watching you, um, people that see, you know, you know, this man's coming into some money. He looks, he looks enticing even more now. Um, and a lot of things changed and we had to go through counseling. And at that time I felt alone because a lot of times he wouldn't show up and he didn't really understand what that really meant for me. Mm-hmm. Me understanding that I needed him to provide like that, that safety and that space. Um, and getting through all of that, the biggest thing was, is that we just came to this realization. There was a way we needed to communicate. So we finally get through that space. 
But the day, that particular day that's kind of fuzzy to me um, and realizing that my purpose, I'm not really serving my purpose or I don't feel as valued at this point um, and me not knowing how to voice that because nobody talks about that when you get in those moments in your marriage where you're like, do you see me? Like, do you understand what I've gone through? Like, do you understand that I'm still here and I still need some type of reassurance or something that that recognizes me as a person? Um, I literally was like, not trying to commit suicide, wasn't going to commit suicide, but I knew I was getting ready to be in a depressive state. And I knew it was going to be hard. And the only reason why I knew it was going to be hard was because I hadn't dealt with 2011. I hadn't dealt with all of those things. So and, in here, you're, you're telling yourself, yes, I'm not going to commit suicide. I'm not you? going to commit suicide. I have two beautiful children. I have children, stepchildren from his previous marriage that I care about. And, you know, my family, no, not doing it. That's that's not my thing. No, you not right now. counseling or therapy, anything at this time? Uh, Yes. Okay. Therapy, therapy. And so at that time, I tried to reach my therapist that particular day. She was unavailable. Um, I then get home and I'm getting ready to try to prepare lunch for the kids. And something, it was, it was, a, it was like a voice where it was like... Um, if you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. You'll never be enough. Like, literally, I heard that. You'll never be enough. And in so many ways, we had those voices of doubt and, you know, just negativity that it's, it's always louder than everything else that we hear. And when I heard that you'll never be enough, I said, oh, let me get these kids. Let me call my aunt. Let me take myself to the hospital and let me, let me admit myself into a 72-hour hold. Mm. Damn. It was that serious. Like, I need a break. Like, what black woman do you know is driving her kids to a hospital emergency room and saying, excuse me, I live with bipolar disorder. I've been suicidal before. I need to be placed on a 72-hour hold or else I'm going to harm myself. Not nobody else, but myself. I'm grateful for that awareness in that moment. Listen, I was grateful for that awareness because there were guns in the home. And of course, they're safe. They're in safest safes or whatever, what have you. He always knew the codes. I never knew them. But there were guns in the home. And let's just say if I got to a point where I just, you know, tried to make make something happen or do something to myself, everything that I needed was there. Or I could have gone the route that some mothers have gone where they put their kids in the car and they drive off and they're in accidents or they drive off into the water. And we know that that's, those are really prevalent stories. Yeah. And so... A 72-hour hole, I'm talking about all the things. And literally what the consensus was, was that 2011 was a very hard year for me. And just in general, I had not um, processed all of the tragedy, all of the good things, because a lot of times people don't understand when you elevate in life, there's a level of depression that comes with that. There's a level of sadness where it's like, oh shit, everybody about to think I'm better than them because we doing better over here. You know what I'm saying? Or there's that survival, I think it's survivor's remorse or survivor's guilt or what have you, where you've made it out. You're doing all of the things. Your life reflects this, 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 this higher state of just literally living and being. And you feel bad because when you go home, you still see people suffering. You still see people struggling. Like there's no connection there. 
And that's a form of depression that I was heavily dealing with at that time. It wasn't necessarily just overall grieving for my friends who had passed away. No, that was heavy too. But the heaviest part of my depression was from all of the happy things that I didn't know how to process. Because I didn't, I've never seen anybody drive, you know, the type of cars we were driving. I've never seen anybody live in a house that had an elevator in it. Like we had an elevator and I was in that bitch up and down every single day because I was happy as hell we had an elevator. You know, like, let's take this thing for a spin. Like, no, it's here. Like, but, but again, not understanding what that looks like. Um, what success comes with, like, you know, how people then treat you because now you are looked upon as being successful. And um, it took a while just because a lot of people around me felt like, and, you know, I had a friend tell me she felt like it was a cop-out. And I told her- like what exactly was the cop-out? She felt like me um, taking myself to the hospital Mm. for a 72-hour hold was a cop-out. What? And I I had to- I call that self-care. And a self-awareness. Hello? And I, I, I really didn't have any words for her. I didn't. And I just, one, one thing that stuck with me that my grandmother has always told me is just keep living, right? Yeah. And she's always told me to just keep living because it gets better or you'll get through it or you'll figure out how to make it, right? But I told my friend at that time, just keep living because clearly you haven't gone through things to where you could be that aware of yourself to know to remove yourself from either placing harm on yourself or placing harm on other people around you. And one thing that I'm very adamant about on social media and sharing with people is that it's amazing how with these mass shootings and the people that are harming just groups of people, they will immediately go to a mental illness or a mental diagnosis or something to kind of explain what they're going through. And one thing that I point out all the time is that when people are mentally ill, I guarantee you, probably more than 70 to 80% of the time, we are thinking about harming ourselves before we harm anybody else. Every single time. And that's why it's so hard for me to really, you know, grasp with the fact that, yeah, maybe that person was triggered. Maybe that person did have some trauma that was, you know, unresolved or undealt with or what have you or wasn't diagnosed previously before. I'll give them that. But you can't say that that's the source of why they picked up a gun to go shoot people. Because every time that I've ever had a brush with suicide or every time I was bullied or every time that something happened to me and I didn't really understand and I couldn't process it. And if I was upset enough or mad enough or angry or aggravated enough, I wanted to harm myself. Never thought to harm my kids. Never thought to harm my husband. Never thought to harm, you know, well, wait a minute. Let me back up. My husband at the time, I, I was thinking a little <laughs> something, but you know, we was going through it. But anyway, um, but in general, it's like, don't use our mental illnesses to kind of paint this narrative that all mentally ill people are like this, that all mentally ill people should be locked up somewhere. No, like that 72-hour hold gave me breathing room. It gave me an opportunity to really get the counseling like on hand, on site. Um, They did put me on light medication. Um, They did realize that I needed to be in a center for about a week or two. So for about two to three weeks, I was in the Cab Crisis Center. And I'll never forget this place because it was the, I've, when you say a crazy house, it was it wasn't like a crazy house, quote unquote. And I hate to use that word, but that's how people describe them. But it's a mental right. facility. Um, it was nothing like that. It was, it was just bare, cold, people screaming randomly, people reliving traumatic experiences. 
people are like doing things to their body on site. There's nothing that we have access to, but they're still finding ways to harm themselves. People crying through the night because they don't know whether or not they're going to get out of this place. And it's almost like a prison cell in a sense because we're grouped in certain spaces at the time. Now, I don't know how this place is now because I haven't been there in so long, but I remember thinking, I'm going to take this time to process all of this. I'm going to take this time to say all of the things that I need to say to the psychiatrist, the psychologist, to my therapist who came by every now and then. And I'm going to get out of here. And when I get out of here, I am going to intentionally live in my purpose. My purpose clearly is just to be. That simple. Just to be. To be me to be whoever I want to be, to be in take up to take up the spaces that I need to take up to just exist, right? And if I'm and if God continues to let me get through all of these instances, then clearly that's my purpose. Like I might have a little more, it might be more defined later on or whatever in life, but right now at that time, it was like, no girl, you got to get out of here. During that time, um I I only remember in the course of a couple of weeks, my husband may be coming by maybe two or three times. And um, that was hard for me to process just because that let me know the state of our marriage. It wasn't, you know, the cheating. It wasn't whatever else was going on. It was literally, if I can't get you to be here for me at my, at my like, toughest, roughest moments, then nah, we now we not it. We not it. It's okay. And so me going through all of that and processing all of that and really coming out and saying, okay, we really got to do counseling. We've got to figure this out. We've got to make this work or we need to make some arrangements to where it's not going to work. And finally, um, I want to say it was 2015, May 2015, because I don't know, May is a month that really gets me... I know that it's Mental Health Awareness Month in general, but May is a month that literally, if I want to cut my hair off, I'm cutting my hair off. If I want to get a tattoo, I'm getting a tattoo. If I want to, you know, just go and go jump out of the, you know, skydive out of a plane, I'm doing it. Like, that's the month for me. And that particular month, I decided to cut my hair. And the look at my husband's face that I got when I got home was almost kind of like the same look that I got from my mother those two times. And it triggered me so bad because it was just like, it was just hair. I thought I looked even more beautiful without it, you know? And I think one of the things that I was trying to connect with was with my grandmother at that time because I had been going through so much. I had went vegan to lose some weight. I had um, thyroid issues with my health. Now, this is how, you know, you know you're going through some things in your marriage and now it's affecting you physically, and I hadn't deal with I hadn't dealt with any type of um, postpartum depression at that time, but there were moments where you know me not having the body that I used to have as a model. I'm like, oh my god, what's going on here? And by the time I decided to make all of these health decisions and trying to change my lifestyle, it looked completely different. So at this time, I'm I'm sure on his end, he was like, who the hell is this person that then came in my house? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but because he couldn't voice that. Or because we couldn't meet in the middle, it was just like, okay, well, I got to go. I left. I made a decision and left, picked up my boys, you know, went on, lived with my aunt at the time and got through probably the roughest separation because, you know, he went on live life. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sitting up here like, 
hey, we got to get divorced. Like, you know what I'm saying? Can we, can we finish this out? Um, and that was a whole three-year process. Year Damn. 2018 comes. And mind you, even with this process, you got to think about it. Because of the things that were accumulated and all of these things in the marriage and all of that, you know, it takes time because at the end of the day, I know he was thinking I was probably going to come for the business. I know he was thinking that I was probably going to come for, you know, rental properties that he had in his name and things of that nature. But I just wanted, I wanted to leave. I was literally like Bernadine. No, because Bernadine wanted everything. But I was like Tina Turner. I just want my name. Mm. Like, just let me go. I'll figure it out. And by the time he really realized that that's all I wanted, and we made, you know, some arrangements for everything else, um, he was like, okay, well, let's just figure it out. And one thing I will say about DeKalb County, DeKalb County, when you get ready to get a divorce and you file for a divorce or what have you, and you right there getting ready, they getting ready to, you know, grant you the divorce and, you know, give you the divorce decree and all of this, you got to go through this um, session or like a workshop for four hours with your spouse at the time. And literally, it's talking about co-parenting, working through all of these issues. Nigga, why y'all didn't give us that shit before we started? This is ass backwards. Y'all talking about marriage, like people, people will talk about marriage counseling. I have literally been saying, y'all need to go down to DeKalb County. If you filing in DeKalb County, tell them to put y'all in that workshop before y'all get married. Especially if you have children from previous situations. I can help people get it right. Listen. <laughs> so we was in this joker like, we was cracking up because we was like, oh, we got this. Like, what is we here for? So we sitting there, we chilling. Mm-hmm, we can handle that. That's cool. Everybody else in there miserable, okay? And so at that time, that's when I saw, I saw my person. And I was like, damn, you know, where he been? You know what I'm saying? Like, so are we really going to do this? And he, and, he, and he looked at me and he was just like, it's up to you. And I was like, honestly, we, we're going to have to. It's okay. Because I'd rather you go and go find somebody that you really would be there for, that you would really take care of, that you would really show up for, than for you to half-ass it with me. Because with me and my mental illness and me and everything that I've gone through, I need a man in my life or a woman, because, I mean, equal opportunity. Um, <laughs> I need somebody that's going to be in my life that is really going to be there. I have yet to have that. And I think I deserve that. Yeah. And if you've, 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 taken all my, you've taken all these years to show me that you're not going to really do that, and I don't fault him for that because maybe he didn't understand. Maybe he didn't get it. And so um, I'm saying all this to say I left halfway through the game because I could not stop throwing up. I go to... How far along were you for this? Listen. I was a couple of months pregnant (laughs) with twins. With twins. Oh, shit. And I'm sitting up here like, wait a minute. So that means two people, right? You know, and the lady was like, yeah. And she was like, wait a minute. They're girls. I'm excited. And so I go on, you know, tell my family. They're shocked because they're like, okay, so now y'all got to get back together. His mom is telling him to get back together. I'm like, who gets back, get back together after they just got divorced? Like, how does that work? A and lot of people. clearly, <laughs> Nene Leakes and them did that. You know, Nene Leakes and Greg did that. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, okay, well, whatever. A lot of people do that, but no, I'm good. You know, I was just like, no, we can figure this out because we were, we, I felt like it was amicable. 
We did what we needed to do. We figured it out. It wasn't going to work. So we moved on. Now it's time to co-parent. Right. Yeah. So I'm already co-parenting with, you know, my oldest son's father. And that's been a breeze. You know, he married the right woman, in my opinion, because right. most women don't know how to handle those type of situations. And so... You have been through uh, a lot. A lot. So a lot. trying to wrap it up because this is to get us up until now. <laughs> but literally, um, right before Thanksgiving... Um, I found out at the end of September I'm pregnant. The month of October is his birthday. So he finds out, I think this is what, his 50th? He finds out he's getting ready to have twins with his ex-wife. Oh, my goodness. He's currently dating a young woman at the time. And I know that was a bit <laughs> rocky for them. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but November rolls around and I'm having to move. Because the place that I've been living in during our separation was a one-bedroom with no TV, no major electronics in it. Just the bare minimum of what me and my son needed. We had the best of time in that one bedroom. Do you hear me? Mm. Our life was amazing in that one bedroom. And I went and I found a place that had uh, three bedrooms, two baths. Um, it had like the, the main room was upstairs. It had an upstairs or whatever unit. And I made a quick decision in moving in immediately. And I say a quick decision in moving in immediately after being in there or at least, I want to say, two months. Around about the end of January of 2019, getting, I'm getting ready to cover the Super Bowl because at the time, I'm like heavily working in sports media at the time. Super Bowl was here in Atlanta. I um, had my first seizure at home. Mm. And my body is shaking. And before that, I had just found out I had lost the other twin. Mm. So I mm. linked it to maybe losing her or something else was going on or what have you. And I was like, okay, well, damn. No, like, don't think about it because you didn't even really process your divorce even though you had all that time with the separation. Um, maybe something else health-wise was going on. So I got tested for everything under the sun. Couldn't find anything. So beginning of February, February the 1st, I have a severe seizure while this getting a... This is the second seizure. This is the second seizure. It's a severe seizure while getting a facial. My esthetician, she's getting ready. To, she's putting like the... Um, steam on my face and all of a sudden my whole body just starts shaking out. I'm I'm literally physically like you see me I'm pregnant like all pregnant as I'll get out and she panics because she doesn't know what to do and shouts out to Aaliyah she she literally looked after me and made sure that I was okay. She didn't leave my side she shut down she canceled her clients she shut down what she needed to shut down she reached out to my aunt because I have you know emergency contact on my phone I was able to tell her know how to get into my phone and reach her. And she made she followed the ambulance to get me to the hospital and all of that. And when something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. My aunt arrives at the emergency room. We're all in the room. And the doctor comes in. And the doctor was like, are you sure you really had a seizure? There we go again. And Aaliyah... I know what the fuck I saw her do in the middle of my, you know, thing or what have you. Like, she literally blacked out. Her entire body is shaking. She would not stop. And she passed out. There's nothing I could do. 
she she had a seizure on my table. And the doctor looked at me and he was like, but I was asking the patient this question. And I was like, I don't know what you want me to tell you because what I realized after the first seizure, if I black out, I'm not going to remember anything before then. And the only thing I can remember is what somebody would tell me if they were there to witness it, right? And so I told him, I said, if you don't believe another black woman that happened to be standing there with the black woman who's going through this moment, then sir, I don't think you're my doctor for me. And it's a white man, of course. So he leaves out and my OBGYN happened to be on um, call, what have you. She comes by to check in on me. And one of the first things she says, she's a black woman. She says, um, do you think maybe it's just something like, you, you're feeling mentally or what have you. And I was like, that's the first time it was brought up. And I said, ma'am, you got to get the hell up out of my room because I'm not going to do this. Not, not with you. Like of all things, I need another black woman to come in here and be like, okay, we're going to figure this out or we're going to understand what's going on. So they had to keep me in the hospital. From then on, I had to stay in the hospital all of March. Ooh. They had to hold me because I was having three to four seizures now. And every time that someone came to me a specialist, after they ran tests and did whatever they needed to do, it was, oh, well, we think it's something mentally going on with you. Now, listen, that might be true. It might be true. But let me tell you how y'all need to figure out what's going on with my brain then so that I can function as a human because I'm trying to give birth to somebody and y'all won't give me no pain medication for this. I forgot you were pregnant then. I'm feeling all of this. So as we get to the 35-week mark, they go ahead and get ready to prepare for a C-section. And at this time, I'm literally unable to walk. I'm unable to use the bathroom by myself. I have to have a little bit of assistance with feeding myself Um, um, and all the things. Like, it's almost like my entire body just shut down just for this little girl. Like, and I remember having a dream where... The, the, the common thing throughout the dream, I hear this voice that says, have grace, have grace, have grace. And I'm thinking that, you know, this dream came back because I heard it before I found out I was pregnant. And it was, I was speaking somewhere and something kept telling me, have grace, have grace. And I'm thinking it's because I was going through the separation, got a divorce, you know, okay, now how do I treat this person? Like, you need to have grace. Like, you need to, like, be graceful towards people, right? I'm thinking it's all of that. So when I found out I was pregnant and I was pregnant with girls, the names for the girls was going to be Grace and Faith. Mm. Mm. So by the time I'm getting ready to really have her, I hear the voice again and it says, have Grace, have Grace. I had three seizures trying to have her. It took them literally 14 hours that day to try to get me to be calm enough for a C-section. I can do anesthesia. I can do all of the things. Like literally my body was not allowing anything. And so it took a friend of mine, um, two of them, Nikki, Nikki, who is one of my closest friends. She's she's been my friend since Fort Valley, um, over twenty years. And then a friend of mine, Carolyn, who's um, she's a Reiki coach and all of that. So um, both of them had me in like a meditative state where we meditated and then did a little bit of Reiki. And literally my body was calm enough for at least four hours for them to do the C-section to get me through all of that. And the way my village showed up in that moment just proved yet again, okay, you're okay. You're going to be fine. Um, I have grace. 
And the doctors were all trying to tell me that uh, after having her, I would stop having the seizures. Well, that was true for about a couple of days. And then I had another seizure. And then eventually I got to a point where I couldn't walk again. And she's in the NICU. So now I'm only able to see her at certain points of the day. And I'm having to either go home, travel, come back, or I'm even having to sit in the hospital all day long, relying on my body to hold up long enough so I can see her during her feeding hours. So I'm processing all of this and I'm literally having to do this alone as a parent. Mm. One of the most difficult times of my entire life. Now, I've told y'all everything, literally. Y'all have literally given me the space to sit here and talk to y'all about everything. That was the most difficult thing I've ever gone through. Mm. And the fact is, is that I could see her fighting for her life. She was okay. She wasn't suffering from anything. She was really trying to get to a point of, you know, feeding a certain way because she had a feeding tube or what have you. Um, feeding a certain way, latching on. She wasn't latching on. And really wanting to connect with me. So many ways I could feel her really wanting to connect with me. And in that moment, that was the first time when I realized I wanted to bring a girl in this world to protect her and I could not. Mm. So immediately... I got depressed. Immediately, I had to go through all of the things to try to pull myself out of that. And what later helped me through all of that was really me knowing that she was really brought into this world to teach me a lot of things about myself as a child that I didn't understand. She was able to help me heal my inner child that comes out every now and then that I have to kind of deal with. She was able to show me. I'm pretty sure by the time she's get, she gets into her preteens and teenage years, my shadow self is probably going to have to be healed during that time. Like literally this little girl has been here for three years and she has been the most magnificent being in our entire family. Like literally. My boys all know they are here for reasons. I know what reasons they're here for. And I tell them that all the time. But they also know like she was destined to be here and there was a reason why I had to fight to bring her here. You needed to and protect her the way you needed to exactly. be Exactly. And so they're protective of her. Yeah. They're even more protective of me, especially my middle son. Like, don't play. You know how the commercial was like, you touch my Doritos, don't touch my mama, that, that little <laughs> commercial, whatever, that is here, right? But... To me, it's like it brings it all full circle. I know I'm just 38 and, you know, roughly sharing all of what I shared. I've got more living to do, but it just goes to show like the more you keep living, there's other things that you're probably going to come across that you're going to have to process and cope with and deal with and move through. And I think the theme of my life is really not having full control over what happens to me or where. Um... But to understand that I've been so hypervigilant now to really kind of pay attention to where I'm at, what I'm doing, who I'm with, all of these things. And, you know, just paying attention to my children, having various conversations with them. Like, who is your friends? Who are you talking to? What are they saying? What do y'all text about? Like, I'm reading text messages and everything. You know, mm -hmm. if you're they have a presence on any of the platforms or what have you, I'm looking at messages and people that are following them and I'm deleting people. I'm like, no, that's, that's sketchy. They got to go. You know, like... I did, it's just so many different things in understanding someone's story and how they apply, you know, a lot of their lived experiences to how they move forward. I'm supposed to be walking around here angry at everybody. I'm supposed to be walking around here mad every time somebody says, 
you know, the weather is bipolar. I'm supposed to be mad at everybody that calls, they use the word crazy. You get what I'm saying? Or that talks about how they sexualize young black girls, like things of that nature. No, like I'm more than willing to share my story or I'm more than willing to kind of say, no, look at it from this perspective. Maybe you haven't understood understood that most young black girls, they have no choice but to grow up fast sometimes. And in the environments that they're in, the adults around them aren't looking out for them because most black children, let's be honest, and not with our generation because we're more hyper-vigilant about making sure that we see and hear our children now. But back in the day, it was children are not to be seen or heard. So if something did happen to them, who knew? So that just brings you up to this point. And I know that took a lot of time to kind of get to this point, but like literally that's kind of how my mental health has been shaped over um, the course of roughly about 30 years um, up until this point. And I'm still trying to understand the first eight years. You know, I'm trying to dig deep and find out what those first eight years looked like because clearly I was a happy kid. Because one of the things that one of my my new therapists says, um, shouts out to her, McKinney Austin, thank you. Um, she was she made the comment to me when we first started working together that maybe I wasn't bipolar at the diagnosis at that time. Maybe I hadn't processed or was able to deal with some of the things that happened to me. And the the early diagnosis that they could apply was bipolar disorder. And then later on, it became a thing. Does that make sense? And for many of us in our communities, because we don't talk about mental health and the different types of it, um, it, and how to really be there for somebody because a lot of times somebody will say they're okay and they don't need you to be there and really they do. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, in general, if you're if you're really wanting to take care of yourself because self-care is so trendy now, if you really want to be aware of what's going on with you, identify your triggers. And that's for anybody that's deemed normal. You may not have a mental illness, but you may have things that make you angry. That triggers. That's you true. may have things that will make you feel sad. For me, life is going to is going to life. Like life is lifing, regardless to whether we want it to happen or yeah. not. Cool. I, and, actually, I actually think that is that's a great place to end. Life mm-hmm. is life. Life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But listen, tell the people how they can follow you. Oh my god! Engage <laughs> with you when you are on social. Um, and then we'll close out. Mm-hmm. Twitter and Instagram only. If you see a Facebook profile, they lying because I jumped off of Facebook when Trump was running for president again. I could not do it. <laughs> um, but at underscore Don Montgomery, I will say, you know, I do have a YouTube channel. It's called Break of DM, maybe, or Break of Dawn. And you can look up some of the previous videos where I've literally documented my health journey, um, my recent health crisis, because I felt like if I didn't do that, that if something happened to me, my kids and my family would have never known what was really going on. And we're losing so many Black women. So that's literally something that I would encourage if you're okay with that and if you're comfortable with that. 
um, sharing what you're going through, or if you come out of it, please share your story um, with someone else. Because a lot of times um, what I'm running across on social media, when people do contact me, it's the first time they met somebody really talking about mental illness. It's the first time that they're meeting somebody who's outright saying, I just don't have it. I'm not okay. Hell, just yesterday I posted something where I was like, you know, it's so much going on and I know that I've got to make some decisions in my life or change some things in my life where I'm uncomfortable as fuck right now. And, you know, someone tried to comment and, you know, I know this girl's profile and I'm not going to say it, but she tried to say, you know, things are difficult right now for everybody, but if you find a church home, you would be okay. Hell for my mama is a pastor. My grandmother was a pastor. Like, don't, don't automatically be that black person that says go to church. Don't do that. And on that note... They got it. That's what's up. They got it. You busy lifing and existing. Yep. Dawn, thank you. No, thank you. And I'm so sorry it took so long. Okay. <laughs> Wild Black, peace. We out. Yeah. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, But the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba-ba. 